be the thing you needed most, be the person you needed, be the love, be the security, be the protection, be the helper, be the advocate, be the provider for you. Welcome to the Chelsea Pearson podcast. I'm Chelsea, a wife, mom of two toddlers, a life and business coach, a network marketing professional with over a decade of experience in social sales and personal growth, and a long form girl living in an Instagram story world. I am not going to limit myself to 140 characters any longer. So run, drive, work, clean your house, organize your closet. Let's get into it. Good morning, everyone. Today's topic was not planned and it came about in a text that shook me this morning to my core and I believe there's a reason why I was a little bit late to recording because the air vents were going off and the dogs were barking and I just couldn't get quiet sound and I woke up this morning to a text from a friend who has been a business partner and personal friend for almost a decade, if not a decade. And she was somebody who I had the honor and the fun of hosting at a retreat for our top 10 performers in our organization for our company in Jamaica. It It was the most incredible experience and I was able to spend a week with seven people who inspire me and work their butt off and have changed the course of our life with their productivity and their just who they are. And so I got this text from a friend that one of our mutual friends who was also on that trip, her father, passed away this week. And I don't even know where to start. So of course, life with kids and careers in different states keeps you busy. So I wasn't even aware that he was battling cancer, but I went to her Facebook page and saw tribute after tribute about this beautiful man that I don't think I've ever met, but I feel like I've met because of the way that his daughter Kelly treated me and treated other people and showed up in the world. And she's the kind of person I actually mentioned to her on a previous episode. She has a podcast called Harmony in the Home. And she's been a big sister to me. And is the kind of person where when you meet her, if you know her, guys, <laughs> you literally have thought to yourself, what is she on? Like, what is she on? I'm scared. I'm inspired. I'm overwhelmed. I I want some. She is unlike anybody you'll ever meet. The joy and the positivity and the energy and the love that emanates from this woman. And every single time I bring that up to her and just remind her, like, you are on a level that I have never known And she would always attribute who she is to the love that her father gave her and the example that he set. So 
to be this profoundly impacted by someone who I've never been able to directly encounter is such a testament to the kind of man that he was and the kind of person that we can all decide to be right now and every day going forward that we have. I don't want to assume this, but it seems like he was the ultimate helper and it reminds me of the Enneagram. So I'm not (laughs) choosing his type, but using this as an example, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's this incredible, I guess somebody in the field of psychology might consider it pseudoscience. I don't believe there's any clinical foundations behind it. And yet it's one of those things where when you read your personality type and you see how all the intricacies of this psychology tool or pseudo-psychology tool, how it plays out and how it's so on point and so in-depth and so helpful, doesn't really matter. But in reading this, and I'm want to share it with you it seems to me like he may have been a type two which is the helper and in order to collect myself i'd like to just demonstrate the nine different types and the type of gifts that whether this is legit or not so beautifully lays out how each and every one of us are given a gift based on our genetics, based on our childhood, based on our personality. I guess our childhood and our genetic makeup is eventually what informs our personality. But this was just such a reminder to me that every single one of us, no matter what we earn, no matter what position we're in, no matter what we look like, no matter who we are surrounded by, has this gift that God wrapped our bodies around and we can use them in the big ways and we can use them in the small ways. I think back to episode one and my intention that I set in living an authentic life and deciding to just be me and follow my intuition and turn down the volume of the feeds and the friends and the followers and the family members and the world at large and tap into my source and do what feels like love and rightness and honor and pour out the things that I believe were placed in me for a reason without apology. And my hope, if you're hearing this, is to remind you that you have a gift and you have parts of your personality and your story and your history that are meant to be lived out loud every single day. And there are hardships and wounds and inconveniences and comparison and shame and frustration and heartbreak that have Put layers between your gift and how you smile at somebody at the gas station or 
crack a joke to lift someone's spirit or pick up trash when no one's looking. There's a part of you that has hardened from that childhood spirit and is dimming that light. I am reminded and inspired and feel compelled to remind you and attempt to inspire you to start to thaw those layers of ice that life has frozen around the most tender and beautiful parts of who you were meant to be on this earth, which is not easy, but for the sake of making the most of the time that we have here and making an impact on people who need it because the things that made you feel hurt and hard and jaded and cynical and skeptical and burned from the reality of the world around us was actually the reason why more than ever we need to show up in an honoring way with boundaries and self-care, but in a way that we can do our part to soften the world around us for other people so we don't repeat that cycle. When I met Kelly, immediately (laughs) you think to yourself, she had a really good childhood. She had a really good childhood. And you can't assume that about a person. You can't assume that you know what their life looked like what their hardships look like, how easy their path was forward. Even if on the outside they are beautiful and talented, you don't know who's hurt them, how how they've been hurt, what they've been up against. And more than ever in society, we are looking at the external and saying, oh, I know who you are. Let me put you in a bucket. Let me judge what what your life looked like. Let me decide who you are ahead of time. Let me bypass your experience. Let me find certainty in this worldview that makes me feel safe if I label you as something, and I certainly am not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And not, we don't want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to give people the best. I want to see people in their highest and call them to their highest. I want people to see me through the lens of the most unconditional love and empowerment and call me higher and inspire me to be better and see the best in me and hope the best in me, especially when I can't do that for myself. So it wasn't a surprise when I would talk to Kelly about her childhood and You didn't have to ask her directly because it would seep from her pores. It would bubble up in conversation as this got brought up or that got brought up. Oh, it's from my dad. Oh, this is what I want to do for Lily and Grady, her beautiful children. This is, this is what my family was like. This is what I want to create for my family. This is how I want other people to feel. I mean, Kelly has literally dedicated her life to passing on the love and the connection and the creation of her father and her mom and aunts and uncles. And I'm sure it's a unit without question, but she's dedicated her life unintentionally and intentionally to passing on the gift that she so clearly has experienced 
from her father and the way that he lived his life and loved. And I don't know about childhood. And I want to say this with clarity. I am not making any assumption or implication in what I'm about to say, but instead going to simply use his love and his light as an example because there are so many people who show up and leave a legacy, change the paradigm, and seem like they've come straight from heaven with the way that they perform or they touch other people's lives. And their childhoods weren't easy. I think about the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl and what he dealt with, his memoir, in trying to find meaning and hope in a concentration camp. And it's an example of someone who chose the weather and chose a vision and chose values in the most unimaginable circumstances and found the light and found the meaning and found the love and created a legacy. It's very easy for us to be cynical and guarded and say to ourselves, well, I didn't have that kind of childhood and I wasn't that lucky and I wasn't that loved and I wasn't that fortunate. So in a real sense, I don't know what that looks like. I, I didn't inherit that, so I don't know how to pass that on. And prior to passing it on, I don't even know how to possess that myself. I don't know what it looks like to be loved like that. I don't know what it looks like to love other people like that. I don't know what it looks like to pick myself up or find meaning in the darkest emotions and seasons and circumstances. And what I say to you is I understand, and that's real, but is that a good enough reason for you not to want to pursue at least creating that for yourself? If there is a void and a vacuum of an example of love or abundance or security or connection, or stability, or achievement, or peace, or protection. If you don't have that in your life and you never experience that yourself, that's not a good enough reason for you not to pursue it for you. For you. You don't need to pass it on. You don't need to bypass yourself. You shouldn't. It doesn't work that way. I hear a lot, I read a lot, I scroll a lot, I listen to a lot of people talking about breaking generational patterns and chains and trauma. It's both passed down genetically and proven. It's talked about in the Bible. The sins of the father will be passed on to their sons. I believe that the lack that we experienced from our families can be a guidepost for the thing that we want to and can create for ourselves. And whether you decide to have children or not, the people that we encounter, 
the interactions that we have, the spaces that we show up in, the void and the vacuum may be a calling to break a curse and be the thing you needed most, be the person you needed, be the love, be the security, be the protection, be the helper, be the advocate, be the provider for you. The reason I can rattle off those archetypes so effortlessly is because I have studied the Enneagram and not in the sense of, oh, I know my type, but read four books and really swam in everything I could find about the different, the nine different Enneagram types and how they operate in stress, what it looks like when they're healthy, how they interact with each other. I've talked about I'm an Enneagram six wing seven. And when you find your type, one of the core principles that often gets misunderstood is that you can become a different type. When from everything that I've read and everything that I understand by the age of about 10 or 12, you're, you're sort of set in the type that you are and your type starts to take on qualities of a different type when you're healthy and a third type when you are unhealthy and descending into lower versions of yourself. So when you take the test, you may say, I think I might be a two or a four or an eight or a this or a nine. But in reality, you are one fixed type. But when you are at your best, you embody the qualities of a different number, a different type at their best. And when you are struggling, you embody the negative qualities of a third type. And once I got to know myself, very often in psychology circles, it's called me-search. The people who pursue study in a certain field are very often looking for answers for themselves about why they are the way they are, or why their mother was the way that they are, or in the pursuit of helping someone or saving someone or fixing someone or finding solace and peace and certainty, some sort of a framework that can make sense of the chaos in a family system or just in your heart and in your, your mind and your emotions. And that has always been the case for me is whatever I am pursuing, I'm solving the problem for myself first because I don't want to settle for the chaos or the uncertainty. And wouldn't you know, I find that my type is the type six, the loyalist and the skeptic. And the thing that I search for the most is support and security and stability. But after figuring out about yourself, you can get sick of yourself. I get sick of myself very often. (laughs) And it became far less interesting for me to understand me. And instead, I wanted to discover what made other people tick. Why are you the way that you are? 
what compels you to act this way? Why do you react in a way that would, I could never, when it gets stressful or when there's conflict? What makes you do this when I do that? What makes you step forward when I pull away? What keeps you stuck in those cycles? And as a life coach, as a fitness coach, as a business coach, I I want more than anything to help people unlock the patterns that are keeping them stuck because very often we don't know why we do the things that we do. So this was such a solid framework to stand on and I started to get to know each type, type by type by type. This will never be a political podcast. I'll just say that. There is enough of that. And I am humble and aware enough to know I don't know. I know enough to inflame 50% of the population. I straddle the fence when it comes to so many different things. The way that we vote and our society works and how other people see the world and experience things is so nuanced and so complex that I have just chosen to be somebody who listens and learns and stays, stays in a lane that can actually serve and speak from a small semblance of expertise in an area, and that's just not my arena. But I will say, and I'll try my best to find the episode and link it in the show notes, I heard a fantastic podcast episode from, I believe it was the spiritual the spiritual like advisor. It was a position in the White House for the Obama administration. And he was an expert on the Enneagram and fused that insight into how he would do his work in a, a political sense and a spiritual sense. And he talked about what compels all of us to vote, what is behind why we vote or why we don't vote by type. So type ones the reformer, the rational, idealistic, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, perfectionist advocate who make great Navy SEALs and judges and believe in right and wrong and order. They vote, they live, they act based on what is right and what is wrong. A very black and white framework that many of you guys probably cannot relate to, then type two, the helper, in hearing his stories that I'll share in a moment, started to raise green flags like this man, this man is compelled to serve and to help. And this is the person who is very often caring and people focused and generous and at times um, overly people pleasing and very, very, very deeply connected to their relationships and prioritizing what will help people above everything else. So I honestly don't know why I brought up the political stuff, but I think, you know what, actually, I think I did that because that is probably how when you look at no matter what your political beliefs are, when you look at the other side or the third side or the non-voting side, and you say, how can they do what they do? Or how can they think what they think? Or how can they choose what they choose? The reason that that 
immediately struck me that episode and how our personalities cause us and compel us to vote a certain way or not vote at all and totally check out for good or for bad reasons. The other person that we cannot understand has a life and has a reason and has circumstances and has a good reason, even if we think it's a bad reason, behind the choices that they're making. And this gave me so much empathy and so much clarity and access to seeing other people as human, even especially when we see them as the other and not a human being. So a two is going to be compelled to help the most people. A one is going to be compelled to do the right thing. Type three is the achiever. And it's funny because there's a common misconception that only threes can be successful when that couldn't be further from the truth. But instead, the achiever is simply somebody who will put feelings aside and do. No matter what I just do, I am compelled to create success. I am pragmatic. I can adapt. I can push through. I can drive myself. I can excel. I care what things look like on the outside. Every single personality type has great things and not so great things. Every single personality type can be right. Every single personality type can help. Every single personality type can achieve. But the driving force behind the achiever is success as opposed to being right instead of wrong or helping. And it's an incredible thing. The best things about us can also be the worst things about us. Type four is the individualist. Very often the creators and the artists, the sensitive, withdrawn type who feels emotions deeper than most people and can access a place that creates art and music and new things that move us all. And also they're very tethered to being unique and being... Um, on the roller coaster of emotions that create incredible art. So somebody like that would make decisions and be compelled and show up in the world because they want to be different or they want to be unique or they want to be true to their emotions. So we've got one person who's compelled by right and wrong, one person who's compelled to connect and help other people. There's another type that's driven to create the best results no matter what. And then now we have somebody who's tethered to emotions. That's what makes me make decisions, how I feel, what feels authentic to me in the moment. And then there's the investigator. We don't often, I don't interact with, with type five, the investigator very often because they're very intense. They're very intellectually dominant and perceptive and very often isolated and, um, very much within themselves, introverted, mastering skills and getting really good at one thing versus being out there and diplomatic and social. And they make decisions very often based on how, how, much, how many resources they have and what's the most logical thing. And so that is a different personality type that shows up in the world. So much different than myself. Then there's the type six, the loyalist, the skeptic. That's me. Very committed, very loyal, 
to a fault, to ideas, people, organizations. I'll go down with the ship, but I'll also be a friend for life. Very support and security oriented, responsible. You don't want to leave anybody out. You want to create a space where everyone can feel supported. Also very anxious, highly suspicious, constantly scanning. And so a six is going to make a decision or show up in the world based on who they can support and what offers the most security to them. And then there is this enthusiast, type seven. I'm 99.9% sure that's who Kelly Hutchison is. Um, This is actually the wing that I have. So every single type has a main type. But then if you think about that your type as a cup of coffee, cup of black coffee, your wing or the num- you can only have a wing that is one of the numbers on either side of your number. So as a six, I could either have a five wing or a seven wing. And sometimes you can kind of bleed into both a little bit, but that is debated. But your wing is like the amount of creamer in your coffee. So some people are like, I'm a black seven. I am just a seven. I don't demonstrate any sort of spillover into the other sides of my type. But then there are some people who have like a really, really strong, heavy seven wing or five wing. Like there's a lot of personality type bleed over. And so I thought I was a seven for a very long time because the enthusiast is busy and fun loving and spontaneous and a little bit all over the place and scattered and distractible and versatile and and, an entertainer. And that's always how I identified myself. But when I look at my core values for why I do what I do, it's not to have fun. It's, it's really to be enough and feel enough freedom so that I can create security for myself. So if you struggle with typing yourself, you really want to get to the root of what is the core reason why I do the things that I do in my life. And when you look at what compels each type, you're like, oh, okay, I'm not chasing having enough resources and energy. I want to make sure that nobody stifles me or, oh, I don't care about being right. What I really care about is my connection to other people. So that can help you. But the type seven, Kelly, the busy, fun, loving, just like bubbly, incredible, entertaining, crazy, amazing, what are you on energy? That's the enthusiast. And they do they do things based on freedom and what feels good and um, what keeps them up. And so that's so very different than all these other types. Then there's the challenger, the type eight, the powerful, dominating, self-confident, decisive, confrontational, but strong-willed person who's fearless. I always say this, they're the kind of person that you want to go to war with, but you're terrified to go to war against. And they make decisions based on what gives them not the most freedom in terms of fun necessarily, but what gives them, what allows them to not be controlled, what gives them the most independence and and freedom to be totally autonomous in the world. And of course, those people are going to vote and live and exist and contribute in ways that are so different from the other types. 
And then finally is the peacemaker, the type nine, the easygoing, consistent, reassuring, agreeable, just effortless to be around personality type who often at their worst loses themselves in being so agreeable and amazing. I am married to a nine and very often Rob and I, he merges with my energy and whatever you need, I said this last episode, whatever you need, I got you. And it's incredible. And the nine often gets, I feel like beat up a little bit when it comes to like learning about the fact that they are the least like themselves. All of the other eight types really have this strong archetype and the nine sort of loses themselves in everyone else. But what's so beautiful and powerful about nines especially is that they are often called the crown of the Enneagram. They're at the very top of that shape. And Enneagram simply means nine, a nine-pointed figure or object. So it's, it's actually like you're not familiar with it. It's like how there is a parallelogram, a pentagram. An Enneagram is simply a nine-pointed shape that has all of these different triads and triangles within them. And the nine is at the top. And at their worst, they are, they've lost themselves completely in all the other types in the world around them. And if that resonates with you, you might be a nine. But at their best, they can assume the characteristics and the experiences of every single type. And because of that, they can connect with every single type and see the greatness and understand the experience of every single type. And the reason I say that so confidently and clearly is because, believe it or not, I embody nine energy when I am healthy. And if you've followed my journey for the last 10 years, you've known I've had low lows. You may have seen my before photos. They don't look anything like me. And I've also experienced high highs and an Enneagram 6 when they are stressed, they become the achiever and they think they have to be something and do something and do it right and achieve in order to experience love and safety. And I have lived my life for a majority of it, trying to succeed my way into safety and security. And in my commitment to growth, Enneagram 6 has actually become more like type nines, the peacemaker when they're healthy and they ascend to those higher levels of themselves. And when I think about the way that I want to connect with you and contribute to you and leave a legacy in my life, it is to speak to all types and love all types and have empathy for all types. And that very much is what the, the nine at their best is, is embodying a little bit of everybody and seeing the humanity in everybody and then loving them, serving them, holding space for them, supporting them, doing what's right for them. It's how, as a society, I really do believe when you look at um, the, the greatest thought leaders and life changers, they're, they embody so much of a view that just sees all of humanity for the good and the bad. 
And so I bring up all of these types. I didn't want to leave you hanging if you have no familiarity with what the Enneagram is, but I wanted to read this post that Kelly wrote about her father because it is so beautiful and so relatable and so easy to do and easy not to do and an opportunity for us today, tomorrow, any day to be this person and elevate the way that everybody on this earth experiences connection and love and an example of somebody who chooses the weather in their life, who chooses to be sunshine, who chooses to be their best in whatever environment they're in, in whatever level of impact that they can have, the small things, the pay it forward effect, that that ripple, that one smile or one open door or one, hey, how are you really can make on other people. It was, it's just so embodied by this post that Kelly shared about her father. And in this post, it's what made me say, okay, this, this man, it sounds like he was a helper, a type two. And I just have to say, Kelly, thank you for being so generous with the way that you love your dad and the stories that you share. Thank you for passing on his love and his legacy. Thank you for being that light in my life. Thank you for being that life or that light to everybody who listens to your podcasts or sees your posts or has met you at Parent Pickup with, I won't even, I was going to say with your sweaty thighs that needed deodorant that is TMI and yet so incredibly you. And guys, by the way, she's from South Florida. Everybody's got sweaty thighs. But this is for you, this is for your family, this is for your dad. Thank you for sharing him with us and in memory of Len, I'd love to share this from Kelly. One of my biggest core memories with my dad was the days of me playing soccer. I was obsessed with the sport and if I wasn't playing seven days a week, then it wasn't enough for me. No one pushed me to play or encouraged me to practice in the backyard of my own. I just did it because it was my passion. Soccer was like air to me. Dad was always the coach when I played rec and then became the team manager when I played travel and the level increased just so he could be a part of the action. He organized all of our travel trips and would stay behind just to wash all the uniforms at the Days Inn Hotel using their coin-operated washer and dryer while we went out to our team dinners. We would beg him to come with us to the team dinners, but he said there was no place he would rather be than washing the smelly uniforms for the entire team. We would get back from dinner and he had already washed, dried, folded, and sorted everyone's uniforms into piles by each player for easy pickup. Helping others brought him the greatest joy in life. He acted like you were doing him a favor when you let him do a favor for you because he enjoyed it so deeply. My dad and I had very long car rides to practice because we joined a league that was uber competitive as I knew it was the only way to become better. The coaching and other players were out of this world talented, so I knew I had to surround myself with a higher level. 
It was a hike of like an hour each way, but I didn't think much of it at the time and it was well worth it. And after each practice, we went to Taco Bell for six tacos each and then to McDonald's after for an ice cream cone for each of us. And sometimes he would get two cones and brag how he could eat both of them while driving with his knee. We had the best talks in the car and would laugh and banter together like old pals. We had so much fun together, no matter what we were doing. I remember one day in particular, I had gone through a bad breakup that day and I wasn't chatty in the car. We didn't have phones to escape into, so I was unusually quiet and kind of just dazing out the window. He simply patted me on the knee and he said, tough day today, huh, Cal? I nodded my tearful head in agreement and all he said was, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but I'm here if you want to. And if you want to drive in silence, that's a-okay with me too. Whatever works for you, works for me. I remember our car rides together more than any game I ever played in. I don't remember the wins or the heartbreak losses or the tournament trophies, but I remember the car rides the most. God gave me the talent to have fast footwork and a hunger for the goal. So I played a lot as a kid and scored a lot of goals. But when I went to play D1 at UCF, I was suddenly a tiny fish in a gargantuan pond, so to speak. I sat the bench a ton for the first time in my career. I played just enough to not be red-shirted, but it wasn't much playing time. It was humbling and embarrassing, and I remember the Boca News, our local paper, writing about my little playing time. And I felt like I had let everyone down in my hometown and in my family. I told my dad not to come to the games because I wasn't going to play. And I knew that in advance, especially when the other team was as good as we were, if not better. And he insisted on taking off work and driving the three hours one way just to watch me sit the bench. My mom would do the same, and she would always join him. I always asked him why he would take off work, drive six hours, round trip on a single day, on a random Tuesday, just to see me ride the pine, as we used to say. He always came back with, we aren't here to see you play soccer. We're here to see you and be with you. We don't love you for your skills on the field. You could give up your scholarship tomorrow if you wanted. We love you for you. And we'll take any excuse to see you and take you out to dinner. And so that we did. We would go to dinner and I would vent and bellyache about how hard I was working that I still didn't get any playing time. And he always came back that he believed in me to be patient and learn from the girls who were on the field playing because they were my GPS on how to get better. I went home that summer and trained like I was going to the Olympics for soccer. Dad and I create, crafted up a makeshift workout routine. We didn't know what we were doing and we kind of just winged it because we didn't have Google, but we knew what the end goal was. He would get up with me just to time me at the track early in the mornings with his stopwatch. And I would play pickup games with the guys 
who made me faster. All the while, dad would make all the meals like he was Gordon Ramsay, making sure I got enough protein to build up my strength because all the coaches said I was like olive oil and I was getting eaten up on the field by the stronger girls. And I showed up the next year as a sophomore, like a different player. I earned most improved player, got tons of playing time, and eventually went on to be a starter and a captain. But it wasn't my doing. It was because my dad believed in me unconditionally. I almost threw in the towel and I hung up my cleats my freshman year because it wasn't fun anymore and I was so embarrassed by my lack of playing time But I knew that he believed in me. And so I pressed on as he helped me that summer to keep going. That's how he always was, no matter what his girls wanted to do. He was the wind beneath our wings. And he followed our lead no matter what. He never overstepped or controlled the path. We could keep going or stop whenever we wanted to. And if it worked for us, then it worked for him. We set the pace and he went along for the ride, no matter the pace. We always joke that if we were into underwater basket weaving, then dad would learn everything there was to know about twine and baskets and be just as excited as we were about basket weaving too. I miss him so much that it is dizzying most days, but I know that he's in heaven cheering us all on and letting us set the pace. And if it works for us, that it works for him. I love you, dad. Thank you for always being my pace setter. I'm a little lost without you because I can't find my footing, but I know that you'll help me from heaven. You will be the reason I get back in the game because you believe in me just like you did all of my life. Reading that out loud, maybe he, maybe he is a nine. <laughs> Maybe he is the crown of the Enneagram. Maybe he's a 10. It sounds like a 10 out of 10 to me. I don't know that. But what I do know is because of Len, I'm a better person. I was able to pass on this to you in the hopes of inspiring you to be a version of this for yourself or for other people. And I am forever changed because of Len's daughter, Kelly, and the example that she's set for me in my life. For those of us who don't have dads like that, or parents, or siblings, or coaches, or friends, or family members, or mentors, it can be incredibly hard to see what's possible if our cards that we were dealt were a little bit different because it does feel like a crapshoot when you think about the different families and the different circumstances that we are born into and we had no say we couldn't earn our way into a certain family or a certain city or a certain socioeconomic situation a certain amount of love and so my message to you my plea my reminder is that we have the ability to feel a void like this. We have the ability to either get sucked into it or decide that something's missing and that we can be 
that one step, that one decision, that one effort to create just a little bit more connection or love or encouragement or positivity for ourselves first. He was overflowing with love. He was overflowing with determination. He was overflowing with contentment. He was overflowing with positivity. I don't know what his secret was, but it sounds like he decided to be the kind of man ahead of time that he wanted to be, to create the world around him, to create the experience around him, no matter the circumstances, to eat two ice cream cones at a time, to decide to train all summer, to decide to drive six hours just to take somebody to dinner, no matter what the score, no matter what the playing time looked like. And if we all showed up for ourselves in the way that he showed up for Kelly, I think life would feel a lot softer. I think hard things would feel a lot easier. I don't think we need to score the points. I think we'd enjoy the ride. I think we'd earn MVP. I think we'd leave a legacy of love. You don't need talent or money or opportunity to do that. It's a decision. So whenever you listen to this, I hope it lifts you. I hope it reminds you how loved you are. And I hope it encourages you in whatever way feels right to you to get back in the game. Because I believe in you. You can keep going. You can stop. Whatever works for you works. You set the pace. You are enough. Forget about Who wins the game? Just enjoy the ride. Thank you for spending your time with me today on this episode of the Chelsea Pearson podcast. I can't wait to hear what made an impact or what you want to hear next. You can let me know on Instagram or in your internet browser at chelseapearson.co. Drop the M. Dot coms are overrated anyway. And you'll find so many more ways to learn, links to explore, and ways to work together. And if you could take a moment and share this with a friend who needs to hear this message or leave a rating and review, it would mean the world. Check out the show notes for everything mentioned in this episode today and have a great day. You are enough. You are loved. You are just getting started. Life only gets better from here.